Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this word and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the word. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday, Reverend Dennis opened the floor for this series on the book of Ephesians. This morning, we will continue with the same momentum to look at the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. And I will encourage you to keep your Bibles handy as we study together, because there is a lot to digest in this passage. But before we begin, let us pray. Our gracious God, the hour has come for you to glorify your name. Come, Holy Spirit, give us understanding and teach us through your words. So that at the end of the service, Lord, your name alone will be glorified. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next slide, please. Ephesians chapter 2 is the standard passage on the Bible's teaching on sin. It is nevertheless a classic teaching on the Bible's concept of salvation. In fact, if God had commissioned a blog or a website in heaven that decide who gets in and who doesn't, Ephesians chapter 2 will be the home page. Once you visit the home page of any organization, what you see in the home page tell you the core values of the organization, isn't it? This is very similar to what is happening in this second passage in Ephesians. In verse 1 and 5, Paul says, You were dead in sin twice. Verse 1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Then verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. The idea is so fundamental that the Bible repeats itself, referring to our spiritual states as spiritually dead. What exactly does it mean to be spiritually dead? It indicates that you are unable to respond to God. These first three verses include virtually all of the information you need to know about the biblical notion of sin. And it is clear that the Bible is making a strong connection between your spiritual life and your moral life. Sin is defined as a failure to follow God's rule. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, the human race is in rebellion against God and his ways. The Bible says sin is lawlessness. Paul says in this verse, you are spiritually dead. You are not sick or ill in your sins according to the Bible. But you are dead in your sins. For decades, the Bible's opinion 
on what is wrong with humans have been unpopular, isn't it? We don't talk about sin today. It's not a popular topic. Because it could scare people away, isn't it? And make them uncomfortable. But we have to talk about sin because it's important. Because that is the only bridge that can hinder us to go up there. Isn't it? We need to talk about it. What we hear today is loving words about God's blessings. Than his rebuke and request to repent from our sins. He says, and you died in your sins and trespasses. The Bible says you are spiritually dead man walking. A dead man walking. Who is this statement referring to? You in this passage means anyone. Any individual. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are spiritually dead. That is the truth. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Life outside Christ is full of what? Crisis. According to the Bible, you don't have to learn to sin in order to do it. We know this story. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it is said in the Bible that you are a sinner by nature. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just a sin came into the world through one man, and that through sin, and so that spread to all men, because all sinned. Knowing we are sinners is not the end of the story. Because verse 5 and verse 4 and 5, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy, clearly shows that God had a plan for any sinner, dead in sin, to come back alive through Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That God is giving us a second chance. There is opportunity for us to come back to Jesus and to make things right again. Next slide. So what does it mean to be in Christ? In this passage, Paul answers the question for us in chapter 2 by telling us that we are saved by grace, not works. I want you to underline that, not works. We are created by God to do good works, even though these good works do not save us. We are to do it out of gratitude and love for what Jesus did for us. Make no mistakes about it. Be kind 
generous or any good word is a good thing before God, but never the criteria for salvation. Salvation by grace alone is required. We are not joined with Christ because of mercy and grace. United, grafted into the life-giving vine of life. We have inherited the covenant promises because we are in group. We have hope because we have God. Paul says we now have access to God. Before there was no access to God, but today there is through Christ Jesus. And that is our hope. We are members of God's family. And this reality should give us hope, isn't it? We are citizens of heaven and family members in the house of God. Hallelujah. We are being built together to become a dwelling place of the Lord. Yes, because of his grace, he lives in us. And the Holy Spirit desires to indwell the entire church body. He wants every one of us to be the faithful. These are all promises to the one who is in Christ. The faithful. All these blessings bring great benefit to our lives. But the one which stick out to me the most is in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. It says, Remember that at a time when you in the out group, which means when you were sinners, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the word. Then verse 13, but none in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Paul reminds us in this chapter that we none have hope because we have God. And we have God in us because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, my brothers and sisters? What Jesus did for me and you. Next slide, please. There is a song called In Christ Alone. I think we're all working together now, Andrew and the team. It is my favorite, isn't it? And I'm sure it may also be one of your favorite songs. It was written by Stewart, Tan End. The first really says... In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What height of love, what depth of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. 
Hallelujah. The question of is there any hope is common today. Have you had somebody saying that to you? Is there any hope? Yeah? You have people say that a lot. Is there any hope in the world today? The way the world is turning into. We hear these questions from the news. For example, the cry of global warming. The possibility of another wave of coronavirus or restriction. Economic trouble coming. The high suicide rate. We hear of job layoff. Everywhere affecting many working class people. Or that our country is on the brink of financial collapse. The list could go on and on. Is there any hope? The answer to this question is yes, there is. Capital yes, there is. Romans chapter 7 verse 17 speaks directly to this life predicament. Paul says, I know nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. From this passage, we could see that Christ is the one with the power to restore our life and repair our broken condition. We cannot repair ourselves. Christ is the one who can put us back together again. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is a lovely nursery rhyme my first son loved so much. And it's called Humpty Dumpty. I know many of you know that. The reason of that song says Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put Humpty Dumpty together again. In this song, we can see the king's men or the king's horses could not help Humpty Dumpty. When we keep God in the box and think, that our effort, money, good deeds, self-will, and pride can help us put our life back together again. We fail. Because it's not possible. If you put God inside the box, I don't need you. Okay? I don't have time with you. I can sort myself out. I'm okay. I have three cars, five houses, good job, enough money in the bank. So I don't need God. then you will fail. However, if we invite Christ Jesus, he can put us back together again. We need to place our faith in him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 speaks to us here. And I'm reading from CEV translation. And it says, Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. 
That is the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. What a wonderful translation. We must make this decision to turn our will to God. Through our brokenness, pain, disappointment, and our suffering, there is a promise to all those who suffer. There is. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God's invitation is still available for us today. It's never too late to come back to him. However, the decision is for us to accept it or not. Hope is not a wishful thinking. Hope is not just optimism. Hope is centered in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and Omega, who is the beginning and the last. Who is the object of hope? Hope comes to us by having a personal relationship with Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. Then the next slide, please. As we move on to verse 11, we see how we became part of God's family. The Bible discusses the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles in verse 11. And it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, who is made in the flesh by hands. When you hear the words Gentiles, it refers to everyone who is not Jewish. Am I right? Jewish people and everyone else are typically described in the Bible as two separate groups. For the sake of the entire world, God shows the Jewish people to bring healing to the whole world. Jesus was Jewish. As well as many of the Bible's authors, Ephesians was written by Paul, a Jew. Paul reminds them in this verse and in subsequent verses, verse 13 to 16, that although they did not have access to God previously like the Jews, they can now enjoy this access by drawing closer to God because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. I'm sure many of you have read Matthew Henry commentary. I have one. Very massive, big commentary. He wrote a great commentary that has been around for years. He lived in the late 1600. His father was a fine Christian man. His name was Philip Henry. 
and he became a great minister of God. When his father and his mother were dating, his mother was from a very prominent family and his father was not from a very prominent family. When they were falling in love, Matthew Henry's mother was approached by her parents. And they said, essentially, we are very concerned about this, Philip Henry. He's not in the social register. None of our friends know his family. We don't know where he's from. She looked at them and said, I don't know where he's from. I only know where he is going. At this point, she made a radical biblical statement when she says, I know where he's going. You know where he's going. He is going to the throne of God, my king. You can see that her knowledge of God changed her prejudice, which she may not know to her family. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Where we are going is the best. That is the final bus stop. It's not about where we are now, but the end. Because we're not going to live here forever, isn't it? We're not going to live here forever. Our final destination for every child of God is heaven. She said, I know where he's going. One of the most accurate descriptions of our selfish tendencies is in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. And he says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. This is Paul speaking. Prejudice and racism are the sin of the heart. Isn't that true? Sin of the heart. More education cannot fix it. Okay? More diversity training cannot fix it. Only Jesus can fix the problem of the heart. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's from here. Not about training. Unconscious bias. No. It's here. His grace is only available to those who are willing to humble themselves. To combat prejudice, knowing what Jesus did for us on the cross is required. That's what we need. Jesus is the way. Next slide. Then verse 19. Paul throws a lot of metaphors. Here in verse 19, down to verse 22. We are citizens. We are a family. We are a building. And even a temple. Next slide, please. Verse 19 says, Consequently, 
You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Foreigners and strangers were familiar terms to Paul's audience. Citizens of Ephesus took citizenship seriously. Okay, they don't joke about it. They had rights and privileges that were not extended to non-citizens. Think of our current immigration system here in the United Kingdom. The asylum seekers. No matter where you stand concerning this agenda, we can all agree there is no fun to be labeled an illegal foreigners. Isn't that true? The label tells people, you don't belong here. You are not welcome here. You are not part of us. We don't have room for you. What they want more than anything is to have full rights as citizens. They don't want our government to send them back. Paul is saying in this passage, because of the blood of the Son, the Father will never send you back. You are a citizen in God's kingdom. Hallelujah. But then he says something more surprising, mind-blowing here. He calls us members of God's household. Imagine if our Prime Minister Boris Johnson walked up to an immigrant and said, I'm not only going to grant you citizenship, but I want you to come live with my family. Okay? In the number 10. I'm even writing you into my will, so you'll be part of it. <laughs> but our Heavenly Father isn't a Prime Minister or a President of any country who will surrender his authority in a few years. Because there are some countries, they run the presidency for four years. And after four years, another person will take over. But we have a father who is the king of a kingdom that will never end. Hallelujah. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. This is the only community that will never have to leave. Because in this community, death is not the end. Then verse 20, 21. Next slide, please. Verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Verse 21 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. A cornerstone is a stone in a building's foundation that holds the two walls together and keep it from falling. It is the first stone laid, and so everything else is framed and lined up according to it. When it comes to houses, the foundation is important, isn't it? And the cornerstone is like the foundation of the foundations. Hallelujah. Jesus paints the most famous portrait about a good foundation in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is our cornerstone because we are saved and adopted into God's family by the cross. Who else can watch our sins away and save us from hell if not Jesus? Who else can make us citizens in God's kingdom and members of his household if not Jesus? Only Christ can join us all together. He is our cornerstone, our focus. This is a warning not to reject those whom God has accepted. But it's also hope for the rejected. Psalm chapter 118 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew quotes this psalm and identifies himself as the stone that the builders rejected. Then Peter in the book of Acts says that the builders who rejected the stone, Jesus, were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So do you feel rejected? Jesus knows what it is like. And he, the stone, the builders rejected is now our chief corner stone. In him, rejection ends and family begins. Then finally in verse 22, next slide. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are more than a house. We are a house for the Holy Spirit of God. A temple. That is what verse 21 says. But verse 22 says that God is working on each of us by his spirit. Building us together on the cornerstone of Christ. And the spirit uses each of us to work on each of us. Proverbs describe it as iron sharpening iron. God uses you to make me more like Jesus. And he uses me to make you more like Jesus. That is iron on iron. Which produces friction. We should expect to have frictions in our relationship. In our community groups. Even in church. But it helps us to grow more in his knowledge. We are sinners, but the Spirit is at work. It is a gradual process. But we can trust the Spirit to do what God's Word says he will do. 
And I want to leave you with this reflection. Next slide. There is nothing that God cannot fix. So the question here for you is where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Jesus Christ makes a huge difference in your life. He paid a price for you and me. He died for us. Do you want to have a secured future in Christ Jesus? And if you want to do that, now is the time. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, now is the time to come back to him. Talk to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But because of your mercy, now is the time. I'm, I'm here. Forgive me. Take me home. I want to follow you from now onwards. You can pray that prayer. You can talk to him. Tomorrow might be too late. Now is the time to make things right. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you again. Thank you for your word this morning. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be the doers of your word and not only the hearers. And for those who don't know you, Jesus, we call upon you, Lord, to touch them, Lord, have mercy, and bring them back to you, that we may serve you, Lord, in the newness of your love, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.